Hello, Blenders. On this week's show, we are discussing Barbie having officially crossed $1 billion at the box office. We have a fun movie game to play, and director Andre Overdahl joins us to talk about his new Dracula flick, The Last Voyage of the Demeter. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, Blenders, and welcome, welcome to episode 274 of Real Blend, a podcast available on every IMAX screen through the end of 2023. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wanted to We must be news. doing well. We're killing it. We are killing it. Uh, on this week's show, uh, we're going to discuss Barbie having officially crossed a billion dollars and uh, just what that means for the industry and how excited we are for that. We're going to play a fun movie game, but joining the show, we have a special guest, uh, Andre Overdahl, the director of The Last Voyage of the Demeter. And he's joining us for an awesome discussion. Spoiler free, Jake. Uh, yeah, Jake I think was so. the one who got to sit down with him. Spoiler free, uh, a movie that Jake's really excited about. And so we're excited to share with you. Um, if you're wondering, Sean, why do you sound so attractive? And uh, <laughs> <laughs> You know, I really like the show better yeah, right now. Uh, that's yeah. because uh, I am usually producing the show. I am Gabe Kovach, uh, producer of the Real Blend podcast, filling in for Sean O'Connell. He is with family right now and couldn't join us this week, but he will be back and he sends his love to all the blenders out there. But joining me, as usual, uh, is Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago. How you doing, Jake? I'm doing well, man. You're doing a wonderful job. I, I've always said I did it that one time and got <laughs> made fun of in the yeah. comments section, and my ego is far too fragile to handle I, that, so I'll never do it again. I, I ask you guys to do a lot. Uh, I do. I ask you guys to do a lot, and I think that's the only time that you ever come back and said, like, I really don't want to ever do that again. Never. <laughs> one one like, person okay. said one mean thing that one time four years ago, so I can't get over there. that. So now that you have one me. piece of that one mean person, Kevin's mom. Yeah, now you have yeah. me. So so blame, yeah. blame she Jake. still texts me about that. <laughs> <laughs> and that voice returning to the show after a much needed uh, vacation. Uh, Kevin McCarthy of Fox Five in Washington D.C. Kev, welcome back to the show. Are you, feel, you, are you feeling well rested? How are you? I'm feeling good. Yeah, I went to Maine. I've never been to Maine before. It was a really cool uh, trip. Just disconnected. Gabe actually. To give Gabe some credit, right before I took this trip, Gabe was giving me some advice on, you know, just trying to, you know, just chill, get away. Because, I mean, I, I was having this identity question in my mind, like, who am I outside of my job and my movies and things like that? And then you got to really, you know, as you get older, you start to try and figure out 
where you are. Like, like Jake, everybody has their own lives outside of these jobs. And sometimes it can, it can get a little consuming. So I appreciated Gabe's uh, advice. Um, one thing I do want to clear up, because I think I think I'd be, be, there's been a little bit of confusion about this in the news. And Gabe uh, used this as a joke at the beginning of the oh. show, which was about <laughs> I thought extension. you were in the news. I was like, well, I was like no, well, no, no, no. Kevin's got um, an apology video I didn't know about. <laughs> no, but as we're recording this, there was a story that came out. I think it was earlier this week uh, that they're going to be extending the IMAX 70 millimeter uh, showings mm. of Oppenheimer through the end of August. Now, that is a little confusing because there's multiple ways to see Oppenheimer. There's regular 70 millimeter, there's digital IMAX, there's 70 millimeter IMAX. Um, so all this means is this. So Oppenheimer originally had a three week window um, exclusively in IMAX. They then extended that window through all the IMAX showings through this coming weekend. So the, as we're recording this, today is August 8th. This coming weekend is the last weekend you can see Oppenheimer in IMAX, I believe, through Thursday when Blue Beetle takes over. The cool thing about the Oppenheimer news that Gabe joked about is that if you live near a 70 millimeter IMAX theater, i.e. New York, Lincoln Square, L.A., Universal City Walk, you will still be able to see Oppenheimer in 70 millimeter IMAX through the end of August. Now, you might be wondering, like, what happens to the normal 70 millimeter shows? I believe those will continue. Um, but in terms of normal IMAX, you only have, I believe, until next Thursday, yeah. uh, which is the day Blue Beetle opens and Blue Beetle will be taking over the normal IMAX format. So uh, uh, Nolan got an extra we uh, week generally, but now he's getting a full month in the 70 millimeter IMAX format. So if you live out there, San Kevin, Francisco, you got AMC Metreon. So a lot of cool stuff. Quick yeah. IMAX question while you're there. When can I see Mission Impossible in IMAX? I and we've discussed this in the show a million times, but I, I do. I do feel bad. I, it's it's such a still, bad, bad luck, such bad. Luck. Yeah. And, and well, and we'll I say bad this, luck. They could have yeah. moved. I mean, they're the they're in charge of their own destiny. Like every, we spent yeah. three years of every movie. Jake, you're, you're muted. But we spent three years of every moving moving its release date, you know, so it's yeah, it's, it was that movie coming out in two weeks would crush it. Yeah, it would. Like if, if Mission it Impossible would. were coming out in like it had you know, next Friday against, the week after if it had gone up against Blue Beetle, like I know that, yeah. that that makes the IMAX competition different. But like even if it was yeah. after Blue Beetle, it, it was I, I well, think it would do really well against that. But also, Kev, uh, last week when you weren't here, we did a whole uh, I put the him and Jake and Sean up for a debate on whether or not. Mission Impossible should be considered a failure. It was a passionate debate. Yeah, so um, if you want to hear more about that, I, I, I don't, we're, I'm going to send people to that episode because we got to keep this one moving because uh, I haven't even gotten to housekeeping. And housekeeping. Okay. That's if you're a good watching, question, though. Yes. Yeah. Uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, hello, thank you. Be sure to like, subscribe, um, head down to the comments, engage with the show. If you're listening to us, you can find us on YouTube, youtube.com slash Podcast. If you're a regular audio listener, you only listen to your podcast feeds. I get that. I do that with my podcasts. But do us a favor. Head over to YouTube. I'm sure you use YouTube. Hit subscribe. Maybe check out a couple of the videos. Maybe drop a comment. Um, I'm trying to keep the conversation for every episode in those comments just to keep that, that real estate positive and fun. Um, but as I said, we are available wherever you get your podcasts. We also have an ad-free feed uh, for, for those audio listeners. With RealBlend Premium, you can get an ad-free version of the show, as well as a newsletter from Sean every other Friday. But special guest newsletter this week. I'm also covering Sean for the newsletter. So, Oh, you're oh. writing it this week. Wow. I'm writing it this week. So, you oh. know, if can you want to do, do me a favor, if you want to do me a favor, 
Can I just get like a couple hundred new signups the week that Sean is gone? Just to just Please. to read my newsletter. I'd love to hold that over him. So Gabe. head over, check the description uh, for where to sign up. Yes, Kevin. Your entire newsletter should just be Dear Real Blenders, rap, period. Rap. Rap. Gabe. I actually I, I actually I'll give a tease. I'm gonna write a bit about and I and I wanna hear from folks who who read it. I'm gonna write a bit about movie theater subscriptions. I have some thoughts. Oh, ooh. Like movie pass. Yes. Gabe has thoughts. I have thoughts. And I'll save those okay. thoughts for the newsletter. Um, yes, but this week, we have an interview. Another uh, director interview. Andre Overdahl is joining us to talk about his new film, his new Dracula flick, uh, The Last Voyage of the Demeter. Jake, you are going to review this film after we get back from the interview, but I want you, you have seen this. I have not seen this yet. Kevin has not seen this yet. Um, but I know you spoke highly of it. Could you set this up? Let us know why folks should be excited to hear this interview about this film. Uh, I think this guy's got a really great future in the the horror genre. He's got a really great eye for, um, honestly, he, he worked with Guillermo del Toro on Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. And you yeah. could very much tell that this guy almost feels like um, someone who grew up working under Guillermo del Toro, who very much, you know, is, is sort of the, the 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 next generation that learned from him that is coming up. Um, you know, there's a lot of practical makeup effects used in both Scary Stories and uh, Demeter. In fact, one commonality being um, uh, Javier, who works as sort of like the creature feature. He's basically his Doug Jones, as Guillermo, mm, Dorte, that's Guillermo cool. del Toro has Doug Jones. Um I really think he's got a great eye. Uh, you know, I, I really hope that that you know these you know this this one does well and that people see it because uh, I think he could be uh, a great voice um, and in the genre that is always welcome of fresh original voices and people who want to do things practically and uh, doesn't want to rely on CGI if if it's not necessary. So I think um, I think you know he's got uh, he's he's got the goods. He's and the we goods. started out the conversation by. Paying tribute to uh, to to a great a horror great who this we just true. lost. Yeah. This is true. I will go ahead and finally throw it to Andre Overdahl, director of the Last Voyage of the Demeter, with Jake Hamilton here in an incredible interview. Have fun, Andre. Seriously, good to see you again, my friend. We spoke at the TV Day a few weeks back, and as I told you, then I absolutely, truly, genuinely love this movie. Um, so I appreciate you taking the time. Welcome to the podcast. Um, I, I hate to start out on, on a somber note, but you are a horror fan, so you're the perfect person to talk about this with. Uh, just yesterday, we lost the director of one of the greatest horror movies ever made, and I was wondering if you wouldn't mind uh, talking about the, the legacy, your thoughts on William Friedkin, and maybe how The Exorcist influenced you as a, as a horror fan and as a filmmaker. Oh, it's, uh, it's very sad to see, but, um, to see that he's passed away. Uh, but uh, I, no, I mean, his legacy is obviously enormous and with just that one movie alone he's defined horror and the way we see horror and the way we make horror and that movie and the work he did on that movie is gonna we're measuring up against it every time we make anything you know, we we aired a clip on my morning show this morning and, you know, we all just kind of sat there watching, I don't know, the, the 10 or 15 seconds that we aired. And there was just this moment of like, it still works. It's I know this year's the 50th anniversary, but everything about it, like it hasn't aged a bit. And I feel like that's the, that's the, that's the greatest horror movies of all time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's stunning how the realism and the sense of being there and the sense of uh, texture and the performances and just a pure, simple, beautiful storytelling 
to tell such a horrific tale. Uh, no, I mean, it's a, it's truly a, you know, ultimate masterpiece of horror. Absolutely. Uh, well, I want to talk about this film, which is also just an absolutely incredible film. Um, I want to talk about your decision because I feel like Dracula films have a very important decision to make. And that is, do they want their Dracula to, li- to be a little bit more man-like, a little bit more human-based, or are they going to go full-blown monster with him. Um, obviously, you guys have made a very fantastic decision in the way that you represent Dracula in this film. And I was just wondering uh, if there was ever that moment where you had to sort of go one of two ways, if you had the fork in the road, and was there ever uh, a decision to make him a little bit more man-like? Because that obviously changes the entire film, really. Yeah, and I mean, to me, he's very man-like in the beginning of the movie. He's really at his lowest point in probably one of one of his lowest points in his life, when we uh, eventually find him on the ship uh, trying to attack Petrovsky to get that one drop of blood to keep him alive in a way in his undeadness. And uh, I think um, he's to me is a 400 year old man who is traveling obviously to London to find new hunting grounds and he has put himself in a situation where he only has the blood supply he has brought on board the ship to survive that trip which is a month long journey and he and i i see it as a when he is able to turn into something else he's able to turn into wolves he's able to turn into uh, all kinds of different uh, shapes and in this movie, we focused on the the bat side of it, and I think that was a, a, a for us or for me when I read the script a fantastic evolution from him being this old fragile man who barely survives to become the ultimate demonic creature that he can be. You know, uh, this might be a stupid question, but Universal famously was working on their dark universe with all of their classic movie monsters that were going to be brought together. Do you know, was this ever going to be a part of of sort of that universe that they had in mind or was this always going to be a separate thing? No, this is obviously this is um, an Amblin movie. It's a DreamWorks movie in in its uh, where it's been developed so it actually doesn't, you know, it's not part of that universe. It was never thought to be. It was more a standalone thing. But I do see a lot of people are linking it with the dark universe, which is fun. You know, I, I thought that was, you know, in its initial inception of being uh, those huge movies, it could have been great. And also, additionally, now that they're more into smaller, uh, interesting takes on on the monsters, I also think that's uh, those movies are great. Like the, you know, Invisible Man is it's a classic already. Yeah, you know, I, I love your Dracula in this film, and the thought of like him running across Doctor Frankenstein and Doctor Frankenstein's monster. Uh, you know, not not that everything has to be a big giant universe, but it is fun to just kind of use your imagination for a second. Um, I want to talk about. The absolutely incredible physical performer, the actor who you have playing Dracula, Javier Botet. Uh, I know you've worked with him before. He is a brilliant physical creature actor. I'm sort of curious, what sort of conversations with with him do you have leading up to this? What other Draculas maybe he studied in the past? Like I'd imagine the, the conversations you have with him are no different than the conversations you have with Corey or anyone else in the cast. No, absolutely. We have, you know, we do both rehearsals, him and me. We do, we did conversation. We had, you know, we had dinners and we talk about what is going through Dracula's head. What is this all about? 
what is his evolution through the movie and how does he behave what what at what to what length do we go with both his um his suffering and his uh, and also his um his strengths and all that stuff is um is up for grabs in a way in our conversation and we develop it together and then he comes up with suggestions for how that can manifest manifest in physical performance which is in the end different than it is um with uh other actors because he has to portray he has to behave mostly with just physical um uh mostly with just physical performance and not uh words there are very very few words sorry my uh my kid is trying to call me here and i no worries. Uh, sorry the, the, that's no worries you know, it's a lot of difference between the way we work but essentially he's an actor like everyone else yeah know? well not to get too personal uh you just mentioned your your kid calling um at what point do you allow uh your kid to to watch a movie like this i was raised on movies like this and when i tell people that they're like oh my god i can't believe that your parents let you but i always say that being introduced to horror film at a young age is what made me fall in love with film and have the job i have now so being a filmmaker someone who crafts this and and and, and so many incredible uh, horror films uh, do you introduce them to the genre early i mean i uh he's old enough to see troll hunter which is more of a comedy horror it's a very family friendly movie in my opinion he, i think he snuck his way into seeing uh scary stories to tell in the dark without okay that's a great compliment your kid snuck his way into seeing your movie like that's that's the ultimate compliment yeah <laughs> so no so that was uh, and you know there are on youtube you can basically see all the, the big scenes you know it's kind of annoying all the creature scenes are all on YouTube with somebody, you know, talking about them. So you can also see them there. But uh, Jane Doe and uh, and this one, they'll have to wait a little bit. You know, uh, you mentioned earlier, there's a phrase you used, um, like how far we want to go or how much we want to push it. There is, there is without giving anything away, there is a death about halfway through this film that basically is a flag signaling that this movie's not playing around, that they're not, that you're not holding back, that you're going all, all in and that... Um, anyone is expendable, which I think is great for a horror movie. That's what you want to believe that no one is safe. I'm sort of curious if you ever experienced any sort of pushback from anyone who said like, you can't, you can't do, I mean, it's like, it's like, like almost like killing the dog. You can't kill the dog. What are you doing? No, I mean, the thing is the movie was vetted and it was already purchased in a way by the studio and by the producers and, it had been attempted made, you know, many times before I was on board by several people. So it was already ingrained in the script that these deaths have to be like this. And it, it all had to be gruesome. We had the movie has to lean into, you know, the reality of the situation they're in. And I was very happy, even though it's a you know, it's horrific stuff. I was very happy to read that the script went where it went and we were very protective of that, but it was never really a conversation. Actually, it was never really a debate. That's great. Honestly, as a movie fan, I love to hear that you have described this film perfectly as uh, basically alien on the ocean, uh, which I think is perfect. Aliens, one of my all time favorite films. I think it's a perfect horror film with that idea in mind. This is a podcast that, that worships at the altar of Sir Ridley Scott. I am sort of curious. What is the most important lesson you've learned from Ridley Scott? What he did with alien that you try to put into practice here? 
I mean, of course, it's the classic. Uh, it, it's to lean into your characters. That's number one. You have to make the audience care about your characters. And in that movie, I love the fact that you care about them because of the the choices they make and the behavior they have in front of you. They're funny. They're they're good people. They're this. They're that. There is no real deep, profound backstories in that movie. You know, you don't go into their deep pasts. It's all about where, how they are here and now. That's what makes you like them. And I think that's a big learning experience from that specific movie. Also, it's obviously the classic idea of keep the creature in the shadows as long as possible. And he, both him and Spielberg with Jaws, obviously, and other movies too, but those two specifically are, you know, yeah. Well, I kind of want to talk about that because, you know, horror as a genre has changed a lot over 40, 50, 60 years. But one constant seems to be the value of not showing the monster or the villain or whatever the case seems to be too much. I'm just sort of curious if you ever found yourself reducing the amount of Dracula. If you shot more than we saw, if if in the final edit you maybe cut back a little bit. I'm sort of curious uh, how much that, because I, I agree with you 100%. The reason those movies work is because you don't see the xenomorph and you don't see the shark. Um, and honestly, here, we don't see Dracula that much until the final act. And I'm sort of curious if that was something you constantly had to struggle with at all. Yeah, it's always hard because in the, you know, on this, in this particular movie, you, you actually don't have just an alien creature that, you don't understand, you don't even know we actually have dracula who's a very well known figure in culture and he's an intelligent person he's a, he has a story before this story begins and after that we all know in a way it's like history almost and then um at the same time you have to keep him in the shadows but you also want to tell a story of how he gets emaciated by not getting blood and when he's losing his blood supply that he's brought on board to survive this trip there is a story to be told. So it's definitely, it was, it was tricky to figure that out in the editing, how much to show of him, mostly because we had the need to tell that story. Um, and all, But when we actually then finally go full blast and show him, it was kind of okay. That That's when we felt it was the right moment anyway. You know, you mentioned sort of the fact that Dracula is well known, and I, but I still feel like by nature of the chapter of the book that you're basing this film on, you're still given a lot more freedom than most people are because so much is unknown in the novel on, as to what happened on that ship. If you were to go forward or back in this story, you're really given a lot less freedom because the Soaker wrote very clearly what has happened and what is going to happen. Would you ever be interested in doing any kind of a sequel or a prequel to this, knowing that you would not have nearly as much creative freedom as you did on this particular part of the story? I mean, it's so weird because this movie is trying to stay pretty rigid to the, Mm -hmm. you know, as rigidly as we could to the novel. So if you do a sequel, it would actually be a completely revisionist take on Dracula because you don't, uh, what happens at the end of this movie doesn't lead exactly directly into, into the novel. Uh, unless you let it. So if you want to follow our movie into the novel, then it would be a very unique take on the, the Dracula mythology, not really close to the book. Um, so that that's an, an intriguing concept, but I've always struggled with what the, what is a sequel going to be called? Because our movie is very decidedly ending with this movie. <laughs> <laughs> have these have these conversations come up at all? Have they been because I, w- I will tell you without getting into spoilers when this movie ended, 
I, w- I was ready to keep going. I was ready to keep following this journey of what happens next. So like, do you know in your mind how you would do it? Have you started framing shots in your mind? Have they reached out to you at all about this sort of stuff? No, I mean, we just got to see how this movie does, but I think um, it's, uh, no, it's kind of, it would be intriguing to implement what this movie ends with in a tale that is actually the original book, the the actions that take place in the original book. And then you add in the, our ending, what our movie results with um, into that, then some, yeah, it could be a cool movie. I mean, I'm, it's easy. To, yeah. <laughs> even going back, like thinking about, you know, the, the more man form of this particular Dracula, like I'm picturing like Renfield showing up to his castle and, and, and your Dracula being at the top of the stairs and just how unbelievably badass that would be. And even though we've seen that scene before, whether it be, you know, in, in the classic universal monster movie with Bella or, you know, with, with Gary Oldman, I feel like your version could be something completely different. Like, have you, have you envisioned your Dracula in other iconic Dracula moments that we know and love? <laughs> no, I mean, that's, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, momentarily here and there, but I mean, not like a big full on movie. Maybe we could do one movie on each chapter, you know, <laughs> I feel like this movie's not even out yet. And I'm already putting you to work as to what other like <laughs> Dracula moments I can get out of you, but it's only because I love the movie. Um, there's this trend that I feel like is happening uh, in Hollywood these days, which is when uh, a director absolutely crushes it in the horror genre. They are thrown every possible classic franchise and, and asked, do you want to take over? Do you want to take over this franchise? Do you want to take over that franchise? Um, I'm just sort of curious, have, has, have any studios been, been knocking at your door to hand over any of the franchises we know and love for you to take over? No, not yet, but I mean, I hope they like it when they see it because I guess nobody's really seen the movie yet. So besides, you know, you, yourself and a few others. So it's, um, I hope, uh, I can only hope that they enjoy it when I see it. Not to, uh, to put Javier to work without him knowing about it, but he would make a great Freddy Krueger. And I know no one knows where the Nightmare on Elm Street rights are right now. They're like lost up in the, uh, up in the mythos of horror movie fandom right now. But Javier would make a pretty daunting figure as, as Freddy Krueger. Fantastic thoughts. I, yeah. I can totally see what you mean. Yeah. 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 I want to talk about going back to Javier. I love when filmmakers use practical makeup i feel like when you do it when guillermo del toro does it like it's just a reminder of the sort of filmmaking that i grew up loving as a kid you know watch you know growing up on john carpenter's the thing you know which to me like we were talking about timeless films it, it, it makes films timeless because great makeup doesn't age it looks good now will look good in 50 years look good 50 years ago uh can you talk about the decision to use practical makeup, um, if that was a fight at all, and and what that means to you as someone who I think probably grew up watching the same sort of films as I did. Yeah, no, I mean, I love it. I mean, I learned so much from working with Guillermo, of course, on Scary Stories to Tell in the sure. Dark. He's, he was amazing at guiding the teams there um, on, on the most minute details of how to make it all look, uh, you know, amazing on screen. And just the love for the craft itself and just the love for, but I, I think that the, the texture it gives, the, uh, the reality for the characters and the other actors and for the, the way you light them and the way you light the set and the way it all integrates as you're making the movie makes it very tangible and it helps to everything, 
even when you do go back and have to augment stuff digitally, which you do, um, then uh, then it also helps this, you know, the the VFX people to to make sure the changes they have to make look completely real. It, it integrates into the what's been shot. When deciding what the final look for Dracula is going to be. What is that balance between, look, there's a certain look that Dracula has to be and, and you can't really change that and it's got to be X, Y, and Z versus I want to make this Dracula exclusively my own so that whenever people were to see a screenshot of him, they would know he's from my film. No, I, I think we had all the freedom in the world to create something that we enjoyed and everybody were in on it and everybody, you know, from the studio, producers, the, you know, Brad Fisher, he loves this stuff. He's totally a, a lover of the exactly the same thing as you are and as I am to make things for real and do them practical. And we, uh, everyone leaned into that and leaned into the designs that we were going. Everybody were paying attention through the process. And, uh, but we were allowed to make, you know, whatever we wanted. Um, and I think it kind of is becomes reverse engineering from the script because there are descriptions in the script that the writer has come up with because, you know, the ultimate creator of anything is a writer. Sure. He's the writer is the person who really sits there with nothing in front of him or her and it becomes something. And, um, and the descriptions are there and my job is to finesse that and make it into reality and and you know sometimes take it in a slightly different direction if needed but it's already described the the characterizations of dracula are already there in, on the page and then we go okay what does that actually mean if he's described like this do we want to have do we want him to have hair do we want him to how is his ears? How is his eyes? Are they beady? Are they sunken? Are they black? Are they white? Are they what are, you know, all these decisions mm -hmm. we go through in an enormous process of making every little decision of how wrinkles are going to be like this wrinkle, a uh, line of wrinkle there. Are we, how many, how much wrinkles do we have in a, in a forehead, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's a long process of months and months and months. You mentioned the lighting before, which I really want to touch on because th the lighting is just absolutely beautiful in this film. So much so that it really made me wonder what this film would look like in black and white. Just kind of like that, you know, just almost like old school universal monster movie. Uh, as a filmmaker, as a fan of those movies, is could you picture this film being black and white? Absolutely. I think it would be an amazing... I have never actually really seen it black and white beyond some flashes when we were grading it. Mm -hmm. I think um, it would be wonderful to see it in black and white because you're right. It's lit very starkly and with very, uh, and beautifully and with shades and shapes. And so it has a, it has a black and white aesthetic to it. It's true. It's, it's honestly would look absolutely beautiful. And I really don't feel like you would have to change how you, cause I know sometimes you shoot differently for black and white than you do for color, but I don't feel like you would have to even shoot it differently. I think it would just perfectly transfer over. Um, I'm going to cut you loose on this cause I know you gotta get out of here. Uh, and I'm going to end on what is an absolutely ridiculous question, but I hope you'll have fun with me. I was wondering if you could imagine sitting in a movie theater with Bram Stoker and you watch this film and when it's over, you lean over and go, what do you think about how I did this? What is an aspect of your directorial decisions that you made in this film that you would love to get his thoughts on? Oh God. <laughs> no, I mean, it would be, uh, I mean, of course it would be the, the depiction of Dracula. I mean, because obviously he has a description in the, in the book, he's described differently as a person, as a human being uh, when we first meet him in the castle. So, I think actually, do you like our Dracula? Do you find this to be 
how you saw him, you know, that would be obviously, and it's a scary, you know, do you find it actually scary? You know? Well, you know, I, I, just to cut you loose, I got to tell you, man, I, as someone who was raised on horror films, who loves horror films and is oftentimes a very harsh critic of horror films. I love the film. I thought it was brutal. I thought it was scary and I'm going to do everything I can to get as many people out there to see it. But seriously, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to enjoy, join real blend. And uh, hopefully as your career is, is sure to continue, you'll keep coming back because we love having filmmakers like you on the show, man. Oh, it was a pleasure talking with you again. And yes, I would love that. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And a thank you to Andre Overdahl for joining us. And a thank you to Jake for handling that interview solo. Let the folks know, what did you think of the interview? But what did you think of the film? I want to get your review, spoiler for your review. Um, and then eventually, if you have it, your star rating. But how was the interview? I mean, how was the film? You know, I really enjoyed talking with them. You know, as, as you guys know, I'm a massive fan of the horror genre. I was raised on the horror genre. I was raised on on monster movies and slasher movies. And and uh, so, you know, anytime I get the chance to sort of geek out on that level with someone who was sort of also raised in that environment. Um, you know, the, I, I love the story of the fact that his own kid snuck in to see his horror movie, which I feel like has got to be sort of the greatest kind of badge of honor. But no, he seems like a really great guy. You know, I it, it was interesting. I, I, I felt like I kind of tried to tiptoe around, you know, what he's doing next and, and what he might have thrown at him after people start seeing this film, because no matter how well it does, it doesn't change the fact that it's still a great movie. Um, and it seemed like he was a little unsure as to what his next right. step is. It seemed, it seemed very much a like, well, we'll see, we'll see how it goes. And you know, and it's a bummer. I, I really hope that's not the case. I hope it's just a matter of like, well, this is a great film and this film is going to be a ticket to another great film because it doesn't matter whether this makes a hundred million dollars or a hundred dollars. Any 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 filmmaker should be able to look at this and see what he did with it and go, okay, damn, all right, Jake, well done, well if, done. If it does do a hundred million dollars, do you think that he would come back for a prequel called the second to last voyage? Second to last, we win. We <laughs> will be a prequel, we back. but it's yes. the second one. It's, yeah. the second but it's just it's just the ship going to to Romania to Transylvania to, <laughs> to get the boxes of the dirt and everything. Fo so. Folks that listened to it did hear. Uh, I think you heap praise um, on your reaction to this film in that interview. But what did you think of the film? 
I absolutely love the film. You know, here's the thing is that Dracula is one of those IPs that at this point, anytime I see a new Dracula title announced, I just sort of roll my eyes and go like, what possible different variation could you give me that that is original? That doesn't feel like it's been done a million times right. before. I feel the same time, the same thing every time I, I see like a new Robin Hood announced or it's just like, what what more could you possibly give us like how many different variations? Here's the benefit, though, as you, as you heard in the interview, is that that this particular uh, Dracula tale is based on a singular chapter. I believe it is chapter six of Bram Stoker's Dracula, which is basically a collection of diary entries and newspaper articles that talk about a ship that goes from, I believe, Transylvania to England that was hired to carry over suspiciously um, a bunch of empty boxes of dirt. And things, strange things start happening on the boat. And by the time the boat arrives into England, it has crashed into shore. All of the crew is gone. And hmm. and that's all you know. That's I mean, it's it's a very cool chapter that is very much that very much leaves what the hell happened on that ship up to the imagination. And this is just a really cool cinematic version of what if what if this is is what happened and you know as he as we talk about he very much takes the the more monster approach to dracula um he's 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 much more uh you know from dust till dawn vampire than gary oldman and and coppola's dracula it's it's a brutal movie it is an r-rated movie it knows what kind of movie it is um and it knows what it has to do it knows the end game uh it's a brutal film it's an original film you know, I kind of I'm going to be honest, I sort of pressed play going, all right, here we go. Let's let's see what this is. And about 30 minutes in, I texted uh, w- one of our friends over at Universal Pictures and just said, hey, man, like, is it just me or is this movie fucking awesome? And he goes, dude, I, I know. And it is a friend of ours, <laughs> friend of the show who uh, is oftentimes very honest about uh, what what kind of movies that that uh, sometimes that, that we have to watch. Um, but we both sort of reveled in the fact that that for an August Dracula movie, which you wouldn't necessarily think would would yield the, the, the most fresh product available. It was surprisingly great. I was a big fan and uh, and I really want to see Andre saddled with. Both both original content, but I could also see him doing, you know, being one of those directors that does great things and, and gives fresh take like Radio Silence did with um, uh, with Scream. You know, I could yeah. I could see him doing something really fresh with with, uh, you know, a more established IP. So, um, yeah, I, I absolutely love this film. If you you know, look, we're 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 entering that really strange stretch of of movie going where you're basically desperate for anything. Um, oftentimes the best thing to happen uh, during this time of, of year when it comes to movies is all the movies you loved uh, throughout the summer are being released on, on Blu-ray and digital right. so you can rewatch them. But look, this if you're looking for something in the movies that is not Barbie and Oppenheimer that uh, is going to be worth your money, I, I would absolutely say this is it. Nice. Did you have, just because people ask... Sure. Did you have a star rating? Did you? I'd give it. Oh, what did we do? Four out of five? I'd, yeah. I'd say a really, a really enthusiastic four out of five. Awesome. I love that. Well, Jake, I'm going to ask you to keep going uh, yeah. because quickly we're going to give some flowers to uh, to Barbie for crossing a sure. billion dollars at the worldwide box office. It is only the second movie this year to do that. Yeah. Um, it is likely, and I say very likely because it's like fifty million dollars shy, um, going to be the second to cross five hundred million dollars domestic. Um, and that is pretty incredible. What were your thoughts on this? It felt like an inevitability, I think, after the first weekend, if not the second. Um, 
But yeah, how, what's your read on this? Obviously, congratulations to Greta Gerwig and the team. Because sure, although Barbie is a is an IP in that it's a toy, it's not a movie franchise. That's, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's uh, going back to the well. So your yeah. thoughts? Yeah. I mean, look. I mean, it's it's all the more impressive considering the context of just sort of the cinematic environment that we're in. So there there are uh, f- now fifty three different movies in movie history that have crossed the the billion dollar mark. The first one being Titanic. Um, and it took Titanic almost, you know, a, a huge chunk of its run to to cross that. It took Barbie three weeks and I get the times have changed. But, you know, there used right. to be, you know, pre-pandemic, it, what? It wouldn't be out of the norm for four or five movies to, to cross the, the billion dollar mark. You know, it you know, we often talk about well, for a while. You know, Marvel I, was just kind of just churning about I mean, yeah. a majority of those movies were Disney movies. You know, yeah. you know, they were they were yeah. Star Wars and they were Marvel. And and, you know, it and that sort of entered us into the industry that we're in now. This bubble that I feel like we've hit was that movies are being made to make a billion dollars. And when they right. don't, they're mm-hmm. they're a failure. Right. So there the fact that we are million dollar yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, the, the fact that we are in August and look, I got to be honest, I I don't really see another billion dollar movie on the horizon. You know, if, if guardians can't make 900 million, I don't see the Marvels doing it. We don't even know if Dune's going to come out this year. Um, you know, I, I honestly think like as for this year, it's done. Like the, the, the billion dollar box office is over. And I think Barbie is going to end up surpassing super Mario and becoming the, the highest grossing film of the year. You know, obviously, uh, all, you know, uh, accolades, you know, you got to give to Greta Gerwig, who is uh, not the first female director to make a billion dollar movie, because a lot of female directors have co-directed films that have crossed the billion dollar mark, like Frozen. She's the first solo female director to cross the billion dollar mark, which is an absolutely incredible achievement. But yeah, I mean, you're talking about, like you said, sure, Barbie is an IP in its own right, but not in the way that so many other movies that have crossed the billion dollar mark are, you know, it still had to establish itself for what it was. And look, I'm going to be completely honest. I, when I saw Barbie, I remember thinking, whoo, I don't know how people are going to respond to that. <laughs> it's got a lot that. of, it's got a lot of big ideas and it's got a lot to say. And I don't think it's the movie that people think it's going to be. So look, I was 110% wrong in, in thinking like, I thought, well, it'll do well opening weekend. But you know, I think once word gets out that it's not the two hour long Barbie commercial that some people are wanting it to be, that maybe it's not going to, to track as well in the weeks after. And Boy, was I wrong. And honestly, very happily wrong. I was going to say, what does that say about the, you know, I think filmmakers are always trying to tell people that the audience is smarter than, you know, producers or pundits give them credit for. But I mean, to to that point, I I think I think people are not only the fact that it's three weeks in and it's still making this much money shows that, as you're saying, that it's not just the brand that's doing it. It's the movie itself is getting people to come back. Sure. And, yeah. and, 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 you know, as we were about to transition to into Oppenheimer, I, the only thing I can stress, and this always happens, and this is the most frustrating thing that comes out of really great moments in Hollywood like this, is that Hollywood learns the wrong lesson. The lesson right. is not, let's green light Rock and Sock Robots, let's green light an Uno movie, let's green light <laughs> yeah, yeah, Monopoly. Yeah. The, the lesson is not, let's dish out everything. It feels like that moment in the early 2000s when, when X-Men did really well and everyone went and bought every single Marvel uh, you know, uh, and superhero title available. The you know the lesson is not let's find really two different movies and combine them on the same weekend and make a fun title. Wouldn't it be cool if Paw Patrol and Saw X came on the <laughs> same weekend? Like let's do it. Like that is not the lesson. The lesson is look what happens when you give great original filmmakers with a voice <laughs> the chance to kind of make the movie that they want to make, and you step back and you don't interfere and you 
you know, and for, I mean, props to the marketing department over at Barbie. You know, you guys all saw everything. You know, we've talked about it. We've shown the videos, everything that they did. Rather than than change what Barbie was, they said, "Look, this is what we got to work with. Let's let's show why this is special." And um, you know, I just hope that that somewhere, somewhere in Hollywood, there is a there is a board meeting where someone's going, you know, Oppenheimer and Barbie are both films given to great directors with great voices and allowed to be told in their own way, maybe we should do that. And I'm sure mm-hmm. that that's, that's, I don't know, it's probably not yeah. happening. Jake. But, but don't, don't worry. Uh, Saw Patrol coming to theaters later, later I was going to say, Jake, when you, when you made that, when you made that joke, did you know that there's actually a Rock'em Sock'em Robots live action movie in development? Did you know that? As long as it doesn't star Vin Diesel, I'll be good. <laughs> so I, I did want to say, this is according to Wikipedia, so take that with a large grain of salt. But looking at, these are all no release dates. Uh, they have Barbie as the Mattel films, and then they have an untitled Barney Barney film, a Hot Wheels film. Um, they have a Magic Eight Ball movie. <laughs> they have a Polly Pocket. Wait, isn't, isn't so, Daniel so we Kaluuya, have a, isn't, yeah, isn't Daniel Kaluuya doing yeah, the Barbie, Barbie movie? movie? Yeah, yeah. So is um, it? So this is this is the new MCU. It's the well, Mattel, Mattel Cinematic Mattel Universe. Cinematic Universe. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Imagine that's the baton that gets that gets passed. <laughs> Uh, that's incredible. Yes. Uh, while we're here, I wanted to also highlight just the phenomenon, uh, that continues to be Barbenheimer. Um, and that's again, Oppenheimer uh, is playing in a, a different game at a different level than, than Barbie, of course, but is, I think equally, um, sort of astonishing in, in the way that it's found success. It's crossed $500 million, uh, worldwide. And as we mentioned earlier, um, is even extending its 70 millimeter run through August. Kev. Yeah. As our Oppenheimer champion. Um, I'm saying, I'm not, I mean, is Kevin the right person to talk about this? I feel like he doesn't even really like Nolan. What are your, yeah, what are your I, thoughts I, I think, on, on that achievement? Yeah. I think what we need here is Helen Mirren to butt in during this and say, uh, we don't think Kevin is the right person to make this yeah. point. If you, want, if, if, you, if you want someone to make an objective perspective about Oppenheimer, Kevin McCarthy is not the right person. Right, right, right. No. I mean, here's here's the thing. At the end of the day, I, I mean, everybody knows I'm a Nolan fan, but I, I setting aside my fandom, uh, to think about what this film has done in its first three weeks is astounding. Um, you're talking about a movie that is a three hour R rated historical drama with a lead actor. Now, we all know who Killian Murphy is, but he's not, you know, Harrison this, Ford. He's not Brad well, Pitt. Uh, to your he's, point, this feels like a like uh, Killian Murphy finally getting a role that he deserves. Like this feels like this is going to yeah. be now everyone knows Killian Murphy, even though he's been around yeah, I mean, and done incredible work. Um to your point, this feels like the first one that people are really going to know on a, on a grand scale. Yeah. And it's his sixth Nolan film, which is crazy. Um, but, uh, these numbers are, are, are crazy. And I kind of wanted to just highlight one particular aspect of this as Gabe mentioned. So as we're recording the show right now, Oppenheimer sits at $556 million worldwide, I believe on a reported hundred million dollar budget. Again, there's remember, there's no CGI right there. It would be fine. If it stopped right there, that'd be a great number. Yeah. And so in terms of like that number that currently sits at number seven in the worldwide uh, box office in the entire year. But to me, what I find really insane are the movies that it's already passed. Now, the reason I'm I'm mentioning this and I'm not trying to put other films down. I want to make a point about the Nolan name because you're dealing with an R rated film. As I mentioned, that's three hours portions are in black and white. It's a drama. It's about, you know, the father of the atomic bomb. It's world war two. So 
it's not something that you would generally think would be a summer blockbuster, but he releases it in the middle of the summer like he did with Dunkirk and uh, a lot of his films. But right now, as I mentioned, it's sitting at five hundred fifty six million dollars. It is already passed well past Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part One, which sits at four hundred ninety three. It passed Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. It's made more money than Transformers, more money than John Wick Chapter Four, more money than Elemental. And the one that blows my mind is Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Indiana Jones is sitting at three sixty eight million worldwide right now. Dude, You know, what's crazy that a Han Solo movie without Harrison Ford made more money worldwide than an Indiana in a Jones movie with Harrison Ford. Yeah. It's insane. And and, and, and I think I, I just don't all of those except for John Wick have a bigger budget. I think John Wick has the same budget. I think John Wick is also would, a hundred million dollar movie, but I would I imagine all of, all of those are at least 150 plus. Oh, right? Yeah. And every one of those is actually PG 13 except for John Wick. Yeah. So remember, I mean, and this is obviously an obvious point, but the R rating does limit your audience. Sure, it sure, does sure. limit the people who buy your tickets. So, so, so does it being three hours? Right. Yeah. And so as we're recording this, I want to I think this is really fascinating. So by the time this episode comes out, the movie we're will have Tuesday, passed. Yeah. We're recording Tuesday, August 8th. The movie will have passed The Little Mermaid. Now, that to me is insane. A movie because that, the, like you could have told me before the summer, you could have said, hey, you know, what if I told you The Little Mermaid was the highest grossing movie of the summer? And I said yeah. I would have said, oh, yeah, OK, yeah, right. like, I, I buy it. That makes sense. Well, Dude, it's, Little it's Mermaid continuing. not hitting a. And not hitting a billion is insane to me. So yeah. like, like Little Mermaid, just just to, to give some context, Little Mermaid is currently sitting at 566 million That's worldwide. Now, that, that not hitting 600 million is nuts. It's and it's pretty much done. It go it comes to Disney Plus soon. Uh, I don't right. see it making that much more money. Um, Oppenheimer is going to pass that. Now, here's the crazy part. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse is sitting at 683. Fast X is at 704 million worldwide. You think and Guardians cost- is you think Guardians it's going to get up there? That this is this is where I'm going with this. So Guardians is at 845 million, Fast X no 704, way. Spider-Man 683. It's definitely going to pass Spider-Man for sure. I mean it, that that's only another 110 million or so. Yeah, but um, I'm it curious. hasn't opened in hasn't opened in China yet. Okay, it opens okay, in China on August 30th. That's and fair. he has a huge audience in China. Um so we're looking at a possibility. I've seen numbers up to 900 million. If this thing makes 900 million dollars, it would pass Guardians 3 and, <laughs> and, and, be, and be sitting at the number three spot wow. of the entire year. Wow. Now, sure, it might not get to Guardians. So that means it passes Fast X, Spider-Man, Little Mermaid and all the other ones I mentioned. I just want to say how insane that is. And I don't. Under, I, and I'm not, I'm not trying to sit here and like sit on a high horse about Oppenheimer and, and Nolan, but is there a filmmaker in our time and our generation that has the ability to do this outside of James Cameron? I don't know any other named filmmaker that has the ability to bring that much box office to a film like that. I mean, it, it is kind of insane. Aren't you, are you guys surprised by how big of a deal oh, this is? Yeah. Well, that's no, what I was absolutely. saying. And they're both, I think they're both just as shocking. Yeah. But I, I, oh, yeah. my point is, I don't know that it's going to go as high as you think. I, I do. I don't think it's going to in China. I was looking at in China, Dunkirk, which Oppenheimer is its own beast. Uh, you know, we can't one to one, but it only made 50 million in China. And I don't know that it's going to make a lot more than that. Enough Where do you think it like, stops? Where do you think it stops? So right now we're at five fifty six. We're 18 days in. How much is Spider-Man? Sp- 
Spider-Man is sitting currently something? at 683. I, I, I think I, it's definitely going to pass that. I don't know. I'd be curious what the projections are for this weekend, because I think that I think that uh, I think it's going to fade. And I think that people are going to start watching other things. Um, Dude. I okay, just don't know that thing. it's going to make. I just don't know that it's going to. Maybe it crosses Spider-Man, but I would be surprised if it crossed seven, I think. So Jake, you had something you wanted to wrap up Yeah, I wanted with? to ask you guys if after the success of, of Oppenheimer and how well everything sort of seemed to work out for, for Nolan, um, does he call Universal home? Yes. Oh, they, they I think they're, they're going to make sure that he does. I think is what I, I think he would be fine taking whatever his idea is and taking it to whoever's going to give him the money that he wants. I think yeah. that's I think that's what it affords him. But I think Universal is going to go, oh, no, 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 no. We'll we'll get you what we will get you more exclusive weeks. We'll get you as much money yeah. as you need. And, and he's not not that he's going to ask for more than he needs. But I mean, they gave him everything that any filmmaker could possibly dream for. Universal would would be wrong to not. It's their it's their game to lose as far as keeping him. I I think he's happy there. But why it's a great question is everything he asked for. He delivered back to them Mm -hmm. and then some like it it wasn't just like, hey, give me three weeks. Because remember, we were all there was a whole discussion when Mission was losing its IMAX. And we were like, I wonder if Mission will end up sharing IMAX with Oppenheimer and maybe in Oppenheimer's second or third weekend, it'll fall off and the Mm -hmm. IMAX numbers won't be as good. I mean, I, I I've I'm pretty sure these are the biggest IMAX numbers of his career, but props to Universal, because if you go back and listen to our interview, just a shameless plug, we had Christopher Nolan on and Greta Gerwig um, to Jake's point about when we first saw Barbie, when you open a movie with a 2001 homage, I mean, who's your audience there? Right. And clearly it's it's working for everybody. And she gave us a great answer about that. That just goes to show, I think, how smart she is in that. Yeah. She picked the right scene that the like what that scene is doing is perfect for her story. And then if you happen to know what it's pulling from, it just it just keeps cascading. with just This awesome subtext. And I also think like. You know, and and again, I'll plug Greta Gerwig as well, because she was we've had these two filmmakers, these massive films. I can't believe they've been on our show. It's insane to me. Um, the Greta interview is so special because Jake and I yeah. were rocking pink together. But um, one of the many reasons the Nol- it was special. Yes. Yeah. But one more thing on the on the Nolan thing and then we'll move on. Um, Nolan gave us an answer in our interview about the R rating. Right. And going back to Jake's question about Universal and you know, Nolan told us and correct me if I'm wrong, Jake, he said that they basically brought the script to Universal and said it has to be three hours and it has to be rated R. Like those were like the, those were the, yeah. those were like two actual aspects of it. And Universal, you know, for a movie studio, again, go back before the movie opened three hour R rated historical drama summer release. Ooh. You know, you're you know, you're limiting so much of right. your audience already. So. I mean, I don't think he goes anywhere else, Jake. There's, I, I, don't, I feel like Universal literally, they, I don't know if you guys know this, like in theaters around the country, the 70 millimeter showings, not the IMAX ones, they hired projectionists, not sure. just the IMAX ones, but to run those 70 millimeter prints because, and, and they, that's why they're staggered and timed the way they are. They, a, a professional projectionist is going into those booths and running those prints. So my friend saw it today at 1050. It's been out for what, 19 days. Mm-hmm. I asked her, was there anything wrong with the print? She goes, I saw three tiny imperfections because these days, nobody in, in this industry knows how to run projection projectors anymore because it's all digital. Yep. And so like to hire these professional people to bring them in, to give people that experience, universal did that, you know, and Nolan did that. And I think sure. 
Yeah, it's a big deal. I, I'm sorry. It's just a really cool thing to it see. Is, it is, it is, it um, is. We are going to round off today's episode with maybe two rounds of a game because we went a lot longer on giving them flowers than I intended, which is fine. Two incredible movies doing an incredible thing. And again, actually to put it on what I was trying to say, we were talking about the context of all these other movies. I mean, that's why this is so great is because all those other other movies are not living up to what we thought they would. It's been a pretty... Sure. It's been a pretty dire year is, is yeah. kind of what the story was up until the Barbenheimer weekend. And so this just feels like such a revitalization yeah. for the industry. Similar to how Top Gun last year felt like yeah. a whole, it yeah. felt like a, it felt like a moment of like, oh, we're not going to lose this. Yeah. Or, oh, this is there's there's viability there. And there's this, still a market for movies if the movies deliver. Yeah. And this this matches that. And that's amazing. But um, but today's game to, to round off the episode is going to be a return to um if you were here a couple weeks ago on the main feed we played what year was it this is a uh, rendition a version of that game uh thank you donovan for providing this as well it's called where was it um and so rather than me list off some movies and you have to let me know what year were they all released in your job gentlemen is to tell me where they were all set not where they were shot but where were they set um, and this okay. should be pretty fun and incredibly difficult. And I'm glad that I'm the game master and not playing it because it's I, I would be terrible at this. I'd be terrible at this. I feel like I Jake's going to destroy me on this. Like, I, 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 I am so I don't, I don't, I don't remember I'm so bad at geography. I will, like knowing I will let you gentlemen, if you need a piece of paper or something, I'll let you grab that while I explain to our audience how this is going to work. Uh, I will have each round will have three clues, which I will reveal one at a time after each clue is revealed. These gentlemen will have a chance to jot down their answer and lock it in. They will not reveal until the end of the round. Um, but if they if they put their guess at the first clue, uh, it is worth three points. Uh, if I reveal the second clue and they have to change their answer, that answer is now only worth two points. If I reveal the third clue and they have to change their answer yet again, uh, they that will only be worth one point. Um, and of course, if they miss it, they miss it. Um, this should be really fun. I'll give you an example right now. Uh, if it doesn't make sense, it'll make sense as we play it. But for instance, uh, let's say I say, where were 30 Days of Night, Insomnia, and Balto all set? Uh, the answer would be Alaska. Oh, I was about to say, oh, I know this one. We played that one. We played that one. Um, but gentlemen... Do you have your your pencils and papers ready or whatever you we need do. to to play Start this game? Start your pens. Uh, I think we only have a, a, enough time for for a couple rounds of this, but but this will be fun. We'll see if we can get our competitive. I know you guys like to be competitive. We'll see if we get this going. Our first round and our first clue. This is worth three points. We have from here to eternity. From here to eternity. And my face is the same face as Kevin's of uh, I don't know. From here to um, eternity. This is a begin. This is the three point. This is a three point clue. I've skimmed through. I've I've looked at a lot of these, and some of the, some of the three point clues are really easy. Um, do, uh, are we do, um okay? Clarification on the rules. Um, sure. Does that have to be the city, or can we do the state? No, it's just the state. Just the state. Okay. where it's set in. Yeah. Great. Okay. I'm I'm good. You guys I'm locked, locked in? in. I think yep. this this will be the make or break. I think. Okay. For two points. Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Yep. Forgetting Sarah Marshall. I'm Jake staying on change. my three-pointer. Jake, you locked in for two? Yeah, I'm locked in for two. Damn it. All right. And for one point, this is an easy This is an easy round. We're just warming up. For one point, Lilo and Stitch. 
Uh-oh. I wouldn't even have known that one, but yeah, really? that, that, that's that, out of the three. That's the hardest one. Lilo and Stitch. I don't, I, I don't remember. I mean, okay. I really? it's, so, it's, it's so, it's so like this state. <laughs> I was going to say it's, it's very much about, I hope I'm not wrong. You could be wrong. Let's find out. Um, okay. So. Oh no. What don't state were these three films? You, you know what it is. You know, for, 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 for forgetting Sarah Marshall. To me, that's, the, that's the easiest one. Yeah. But forgetting Sarah Marshall is kind of what threw me off because I, I again, since we're already past the point where we've written our things down, sure. I know it's a tropical, it's a tropical aspect. Right. Um, so I'm just trying to, I was trying to think if I forgetting Sarah Marshall was actually the one that threw me off, threw me a bit because I couldn't remember if it was this exact spot. Okay, all right. Anyways, uh, Jake, your two point guess, two point, two point is Hawaii, and Kevin, your three point guess, three point guess. Why? Well done. well done. Kevin gets three points. Jake gets two. Uh, and that's how the game is played, folks. So we will keep it moving. And let me see if I can find something um, a little bit harder. Maybe, maybe not. We're going to start with, in our second round, for three points, your first clue is Blood Simple. Oh, my gosh. Blood um, Simple. Blood simple for three points. I wrote that down very confidently and then just realized I'm not sure that's right. That's my favorite Coen Brothers movie. It's a great great movie. I wrote it down with such cockiness without having anything to back it up. I'm like a true internet, bro. Didn't Barry Sonnenfeld Sonnenfeld shoot that movie? And Uh, I think... Remember he he told us the story about the the camera going and going over the drunk at the bar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they they didn't want to do that? Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, yeah. Right, we did have Barry. So Barry was on the show. Uh, that that was a shot that I saw in high school that blew my mind. It was so yeah. simple. It was just like going over the yeah. beer. It was blood um, simple, you might say. Yeah, yeah. But go back and listen to that episode. He was actually really funny. We had to edit a lot of Brilliant. that interview out, though. Um, uh, let me think, because he used to be a, a, a director of adult film or, or shoot adult films in some but way. A story for another time, Kev. Yeah, <laughs> Are you guys yeah. locked in with your three-point guesses? Uh, I'm just going to go. Yeah, I'm going to just... Do a guess. Okay. All right. Uh, this I'm pretty is another, sure I'm wrong. This but, is another one yeah. that I think will, you'll either feel bad or feel great uh, for two points. And I can't believe this is two points. Varsity Blues. I'm locked in for three, baby. Varsity Blues. I mean, you should know where Varsity Blues is set, just given the, okay. these are all set in the United States of America. And sorry for our international listeners playing along at home if this is extra difficult because you're like, I know 12 states. I don't know. That would okay, be to tough. clarify, I have uh, uh, gone down to a two-point two level now. Two-point, all right. For one point, yep. your one-point clue is Selena, which I wouldn't have guessed that. Well, she's from, well, it depends. We'll, we'll get that's we'll that's get more there. about if you know where she's from and less sure. where the movie said. Kev, are you staying locked in? I'm staying locked in on two. What's your two-point two guess? Texas. And Jake for three points. The Coen brothers love filming some of their best movies in Texas. All right. That ties it up. You guys swapped points there. Jake with three, Kevin with two. It's now tied five, five. We have time for a couple more of these. Uh, All right. I I rewatched blood simple maybe about a year ago. And it's so great to see like the kernels that would become sort of the, the Coen brothers tropes that we all know. And like, it's so, it's so Coen brothers. Um, it's, it's yeah. brilliant yeah it's brilliant that, that's why it's fun to go back and watch like 
I'm, I, if you rewatch Nolan's following his first yeah. like feature that he because he was the DP on that, you can see it all. Yeah. It's all there. Every well, the, even Oppenheimer's yeah. in there. Same like, way in terms when you watch the, Duel, you're like, oh, you yeah. did, this is definitely the guy who would make Jaws in a couple of years. That's great. It's, <laughs> it's, 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 that perspective it's, is Jaws really on cool. the road. You mean Jaws kind of? Yeah, basically. Yeah, <laughs> it is. No, Duel. Yeah. Duel literally yeah. is yeah. Jaws on the road. Yeah. yeah, it's the same movie. Yeah. Um. All right. We'll go to the third round in this. Where was it? Game? Wasn't Duel a TV movie originally, mm-hmm. Jake? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, for three points in this round, your clue is Gone Girl. Where was Gone Girl set? Oh, no. Where was Gone Girl set? I know oh, what it no. is. I know what it is. All right. Hold on a second. <laughs> I'm locked in for three. Wow. Jake is in for three. Um, How confident is this guest, Kevin? Be, uh, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Um, uh, and I, God, it's so funny you bring this up because I was, I was literally talking about my interview with Ben Affleck today because I, for that movie, I, I had an untorn Pearl Harbor ticket that I never used from 2001. But now, what does that I say about it, Pearl Harbor? <laughs> yeah, but I, no, but I brought it to the interview. I was like, Mr. Affleck, do you mind tearing this for me, like an usher? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he literally went like this. He was like, and he looked in the camera and like smiled. I was like, that is the yeah. Anyways, that's pretty um, great. Let me think. Uh wow, this is tough. Um, okay, uh, I, 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 mm, yeah, I don't know. Okay, I'm just gonna write down a three. You point got a one in fifty shot, man. For two <laughs> points, for two okay. points, we have Roadhouse. 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 I feel like should should have been the three point clue, in my opinion. It's harder to know where the, that was set. To me, Roadhouse could kind of be set anywhere, but I, maybe yeah. I'm misremembering Roadhouse. Maybe it's very I gotta, much I gotta like, be honest. I'm I'm with you. I feel like Roadhouse is a harder clue, and I'm a little yeah. surprised that this is the state that Roadhouse takes place in. Yeah, but thank you, Donovan, for putting this game together. I don't mean to be too critical, but yeah, yeah we know that you did all this work. You for did free, all this do work. it better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, any changes? Any changes? In no, your, I'm staying locked. No, staying locked. I, mean, I know. I, I'm, I know. Mine's wrong, but yeah. For one point, and I feel like this was a bit. Uh, I'm curious. I'm curious to hear you guys' thought on this because this has been a while since I've seen this movie, and maybe, but I felt like this was uh, not globe trotting, but what would you say trotting around the country? Um, the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Your one point clue. To me, I feel like that move that movie moves around a bit. Like I, I wouldn't guess that it's all set in one state, but maybe it was. Maybe it was. All right, I'll stick with my three pointer. I don't know if it's right or wrong. We both locked in for three. No changes. No changes. Kevin, your three-point guess. New York. Jake, your three-point guess. Missouri. Jake jumps into the lead with Missouri. My home state. All righty. With honestly, the the, the weird. and this is this is going to take away from like my whatever the impressiveness of me getting that. But I remember a big fight between Ben Affleck and Fincher because or maybe it was fake oh, or whatever yeah. that they wanted Affleck to wear the Cardinals hat yes. during Gone Girl and he didn't want to wear it because he's a That's big Sox fan. But he wears a Blues That's hat, it. right? Doesn't he wear like a he wears another? Does he? Wears, does he? he wouldn't I wear think, a Cardinals hat? I think he wears some other I thought he wears, wore some other uh, just non-baseball hat. I thought he did wear a, a Missouri hmm. hat. Yeah, but the source of contention came from that he was supposed to wear a Cardinals hat. Yeah, that is a good story. That is a good story. And I couldn't imagine uh, having the 
the guts to tell David Fincher, no, sir, David I will Fincher. be doing something. No, or no David sir, Fincher. I will not. I will be doing something else in your movie than you ask me to do. <laughs> no. Uh, all right, for three points in this next round. And Kev, you'll have to, you'll have to win big here to, to, to keep it going. Uh, we have The Missing. The Missing. Missing. The Missing. The, is that Michael Mann? No. The Missing. I couldn't tell you. I can look. Is it, um, is it, uh, Ron Howard? Uh, yes. I, I, I know, I think, okay, I know what movie it is, but I don't want to say it because I, I feel like that gives Kevin. Yes. By Ron Howard. I have Howard. no idea. Man. I'm still guessing. I'm still guessing. Man, Ron I, mean, I, don't know. I mean, I know, I know what movie it is, but I, I, I don't, I, I'm guessing as to the state. Ron Howard. Ron Howard's career always just fascinates me. Under, how is he underrated? He just feels underrated. He just feels well, like he Ron just Howard. He just almost feels a, like in the same category as um, Rob, Rob Reiner. Reiner. Yeah, similar, similar. Yeah, I would say that. I would say that even still, yeah. Ron Howard is more prolific though. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like that I gets, that gets I mean, lost. Dude, Rob I Reiner like, did Spinal Tap, When Harry Met Sally, Misery, A Few Good, Good Men. Men. That's yeah. pretty prolific. No, no, no. Very prolific. But I'm just saying Ron Howard over the course of how many decades just kept turning out a good movie. Yeah. Yeah. I, honestly, I think he, he should have won. I know he won Best Director for Beautiful Mind. To me, he deserved it for Apollo 13. Yeah. I yeah. love A Beautiful Mind. I'm, I'm, I don't I don't, uh, I don't disagree with that. For two points. You guys locked in with your three point guesses? Yeah. Yeah. We have The Hills Have Eyes. Oh, OK. All right. Um, now I'm locked eyes. in for two. I still, I'm, 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 I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> All right, locked in for two. Okay, your final yeah. clue: the good, the bad, and the ugly. Waka waka wow. So my question to you is: what state were were these three films set in? The Missing, The Hills Have Eyes, and The Good, The Bad, and the Ugly. Ooh, wait. Am I wrong? That says now's a good time to figure that out. Now um, is a no, good I'm sticking time. with my number two. I'm sticking with my two. Yeah, I'm I'm I don't know. You're going for three, baby? Kevin's going for three. No, I mean I don't know. I I, I just I, the one I wrote down for three is definitely not the one you just men- mentioned for one. So I'm it's not it's I wrote down Seattle, so don't it's uh, I'm good. <laughs> That's a city. That's a city. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, well, I'm yeah. in Washington. Sorry. Okay, yeah. so your three-point guess is Washington. Yeah. And Jake, your two-point guess. New Mexico? New Mexico is correct. Yeah! New Mexico nice. is correct. And I'm just going to say Jake wins it there. Ten points to five. Oh, yeah. Good game. Did really well. Good both game. did really well. I think you both you both scored points in uh, <laughs> most of those rounds. Um, thank you again to Donovan for sending in that game. It's a fun way to round off the show this week. But I will leave you with this. If you're listening, head over to YouTube. If you're in YouTube, head down to the comments and answer. What is your favorite Dracula movie? It doesn't have to be Dracula is the main character. It can be a movie where Dracula shows up. I think there's a lot of fun movies that use Dracula as a side character. It could be Hotel Transylvania 1, 2, 3, or how many of those have they made? Four? Didn't they just start going straight to Amazon? I don't know. Hmm. I, I've had a lot of fun watching those movies the times I have, so... Not shitting on that movie. Didn't like didn't um, Sandler not 
return yeah, for one say, of yeah, them. Sir, he's not coming back. Uh, I don't think he's like in the fourth one or something like that. They had somebody else play Dracula. Yeah, I think you're right. yes, I think head down right. to the comments. Let us know uh, what's your favorite Dracula movie. And since it's the comments, and you can just you can you can go on. Let us know why. We want to know why. But that is this week's show. And as usual, you can follow us at Jake's Takes at Kevin McCarthy TV at Sean underscore O'Connell, who will be back next week. Uh, I am at Gabe Kovach, and the show is at Real Blend. Pay your artists. Is that what we're doing it now? Did we yes. decide that last week? Pay Kevin, your writers. Pay, pay your artists. Pay your artists. The man who moved the earth. Was an artist that you should pay. $5,000. That's the average amount of money people in the U.S. are now spending on gas in a year. Five grand. That's crazy. If you drive, you have to download Upside, the free app that gives you cash back every time you get gas. That's right. You can earn real cash back with Upside just by buying the gas you're already buying. You can literally start earning cash back today. I use Upside every time I fill up, and I've already made around two, $300. You're putting gas in your car anyway. Why not get real cash back? If you like free money, download Upside. I'm saving the cash I earn from using Upside to help pay for a vacation later this year. Download the free Upside app now to earn cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code GAME to get an extra 25 cents per gallon on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code GAME for a 25 cents per gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code GAME for a 25 cents per gallon bonus. 